Welcome once again to Cinemaholics, the major motion podcast, where we talk about the biggest and best films coming to theaters and streaming online. From the San Francisco Bay Area, I'm John Agroni, film editor for InBetweenDrafts.com. And we have a special guest this week. We haven't had her on the show in too long, uh, almost as long as when the last Captain Marvel movie came out. But she is the lead features trainer at Screen Rant, a longtime friend of the show, and just me personally. It's Alicia Grasso. Hey, Alicia. Hey, how are you? Alicia, I'm doing okay. I'm a little sad that, you know, it would have made more sense if you were here and Will was here because there would be three of us, like in the Marvels, right? There'd be like kind of a generational yes, thing going, going on. I was going to ask, like, where's the usual trio? We're missing I know. the tripod. Some of the listeners will have already sensed this was coming, but Will has vehemently said he does not want to watch the Marvels. He's done with Marvel movies in general. I'm not sure what it would take to get him to watch another Marvel movie. He did watch Guardians 3, I think out of obligation as a personal favor to me. But yeah, he's kind of done with the MCU. And so I was like, all right, don't worry. We're going to bring in somebody who's not done with the MCU yet. And that's you, Alicia. <laughs> but no, we've had you on for a bunch of Marvel stuff. We've had, we had yeah. you on for Endgame, which was the most recent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Endgame and... Uh... Yeah, yeah, it's a bunch of Marvel stuff you've had me on for, so it's always fun. It's always fun because yeah, you're you're a fount of knowledge on this stuff, and I think uh, I, I was hoping we could open honestly with like, okay, we're going to talk about the Marvels, we're going to review the film and do all that fun stuff, but I kind of wanted to get your take on just kind of the atmosphere, like the temperature of Marvel movies at the moment. It's kind of complicated. There are a lot of people, there are a lot of narratives that are kind of like, you know what, Marvel's done, forget about it, I'm sick of Marvel, you know, the people who grew up with it are like, ah, I'm getting older, I care more about this now, like MCU is kind of played out, right? And there were a lot of people kind of with this movie, like ready to hate it. I'll say, you know, I, I would kind of have felt a little bit like, yeah, the last few movies have been more hit or miss for me. I, I didn't love all of them, but I also am a little bit more maybe optimistic. Like, yeah, sometimes these movies can be great, sometimes not so much. Where, where have you been at, though, lately? Like, since we haven't checked in since 2019, honestly. Yeah, I haven't been into phase four. I think there's valid criticism to be made about Marvel. I think the problem with Marvel is it's overexposed. It's just like certain actors can get overexposed when they're in every single big IP and every single <coughs> Chris Pratt role out there, and then kind of the internet starts to turn on them. I feel like that's what's happening with Marvel. Um, but part of it, and this is what what I've had an issue with, is that it's no longer telling a cohesive story. It no longer seems to know what it wants to be. And I think the biggest problem heading into it was like it doesn't seem to know what it wanted the multiverse to be where so whereas the infinity saga was a really tight story with a few little like continuity baubles here and there the multiverse saga has just kind of been all over the place and it has truly not helped to have all of the disney plus stuff as well as the movies um marvel's biggest what was marvel's strength in the infinity saga which is everything is interconnected is now Marvel's Achilles heel because no movie and no TV show can really ever just stand on its own. Um, and I think that's the issue. So I'm not mad about the fact that the writers and actors strike has kind of forced Marvel to pull back like only what like Deadpool three is coming out next year. I don't think that's a bad thing. Uh, and, and I think that the I think that this the wild success of Loki season two, which I loved, shows that there's still magic with Marvel. 
if Marvel knows the character and has a complete story that can mostly stand separate from the rest of the MCU. Um, it's when they try to do too many things and set up too many things at once and link to too many other movies. That's when it starts to fall apart. And I think they've been doing that even more in phase four. And that's, that's an issue, but that's a very long winded way of saying, yes, I can totally understand why people are kind of getting tired of Marvel. However, I feel like saying Marvel's done, you know, comic book movies are dead. That's dumb because that's like saying ideas are dead. Like, comic books, characters, the superhero genre, they're ideas. They live and die on ideas and ideas don't die. So if you have a great idea and you execute it well, it will always do well. Like, so it's no, it's never, it might be in a not great spot right now, but there are a lot of smart people there and I feel like they can figure it out. Yeah, I know. I I was just seeing some of the news the last couple of weeks or where uh, I think today, Daniel Creston Denton, I think is his name. Uh, the mm-hmm. guy who did Shang-Chi, mm-hmm. uh, it's looking like he's not going to be doing, you know, Avengers King dynasty, the reworking stuff. Then the writer, they pulled the writer off. Yeah. They so. pulled the writer. So, and, and yeah, to what you're saying, like there are more Sony Marvel movies coming out next year than mm-hmm. MCU Marvel movies, which is kind of wild to think about. Right. I think that was also not fully Marvel's fault there, but like when the guy you're building your entire next arc yeah. saga around is currently, you know, heading to heading to trial for like domestic abuse and assault and battery and all this bad stuff has been coming out about him on Marvel sets. That's a big problem. Um, so again, all this is alleged, but it's not whatever it is. It's clearly bad enough. Um, And there's enough legitimacy to the evidence that Marvel has looked and gone, we do not want to hitch our wagon. We we can't hitch our wagon to this actor and his character. So we need to rework everything. And it can work. It can work. But it's like, they need to step back and really figure out like, what do you want this to be? Where are you going? Before they start putting more movies out. I mean, even beyond the the Jonathan Major stuff, I think that character was already like, even if you take away all the terrible, like personal things, kind of already wasn't really hitting for a lot of people. Yeah. I think thanks to Ant-Man Quantumania. Yeah. But yeah, I guess that's neither here nor there. It, it's just kind of ironic to me that it's like James Gunn was like fired and like the, over the course of like a three hour Zoom call by comparison, you know, for basically nothing, doing mm-hmm. literally nothing. And they're really, you know, they were willing to just fire him and then eventually bring him back. So, but that's, that's a rant for another time, a screen rant for another time, I yes. guess. Um, I, I will say I, I am, I, look, I, I definitely am looking forward to maybe a slowdown, a pause. I know like just three Marvel things next year, I think if I'm not missing, well, maybe four, cause it is what if still going to be next year? It's this year. What if it's season two? Oh yeah. Okay. Announced it today. So what if season two is doing nine episodes and they're doing like a special thing where it's like one episode it's like an advent calendar of episodes where they're doing one episode a day leading up to christmas or leading up to some point in december so yeah it'll be but then after that i mean it's going to be echo in january which i gotta Mm -hmm. be honest i'm looking forward to more than anything else at the moment it looks a lot better than i thought yeah i was i'm thinking like could this be the andor the mcu or something i don't know yeah i mean i definitely feel like they have a better handle on the TV shows. Now, not everybody has loved all of the Marvel series. I have liked all of them 
for completely different reasons because they were they all have completely different feels. But all of the MCU shows have actually told a pretty cohesive story. There's been some problems with pacing, um, but for the most part, they haven't tried to set up so much that it's like it like you can come in and watch one of the shows and you're generally like on board. You don't really have to watch a ton of stuff beforehand. Um, and I just again, I already said it, but I keep going back to Loki as the blueprint. You have to have a great character that people love. You have to know where you're going with that character and already have the end in sight before you start writing. And you have to make it so that it can be a complete standalone story in and of itself with the potential to bring that character back or set up other stories. But you have to tell a co- like coherent, complete story. And if you don't, then what are we like? What are we doing here? Yeah, I I'll be honest. I did not watch Secret Invasion. Maybe someday I if I'm bored it. enough. I didn't care. I didn't finish it. I was just like, I just don't care about any of this happening. Apparently it explains some things going on in the Marvels. Honestly, I think I was fine to skip. Sort of. It sort of does, but the Marvels also ignores a lot of what happened in Secret Invasion. And that's another thing I think that Marvel's running into is when you have too much Mm. stuff coming out. It's like this thing that we set up to be this huge, important thing in this movie or TV show. In another movie or TV show a few months later, we're just going to ignore that. Yeah, well, I think it was uh, Elizabeth Olsen who was telling people when Multiverse of Madness came out, she was like, honestly, like, we were making this movie before they even finished figuring out WandaVision. Like, it it really wasn't something that was as, like, put together as, like, maybe some people thought. And you could kind of see, that was one of my major criticisms of Multiverse of Madness was, like, I kind of felt like, wait, which character is this? This doesn't feel like the Scarlet Witch at the end of WandaVision to me, but whatever. That's, That's 2022 Marvel but stuff. that leads uh, into the Marvels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I will, I will say one more thing. Um, I haven't finished Loki season two. I've been liking it. I'm a few episodes in. I've been taking my time with it, and yeah, I, I, I think Loki is definitely one of those blueprints. But my personal favorite of the Marvel shows, and then nice little transition, is honestly Miss Marvel. I absolutely I loved it. I mean, I've loved them show. all for different reasons, but. Quite frankly, the strongest part of that show was the strongest part of the Marvels for me, and that was Amon Vellani. Like easily, easily. Like one thing that I will say, Marvel has always nailed is casting. Like I think Marvel has maybe made like one miscast, maybe one or two miscasts ever, and for the most part, the casting they knock it out of the park. And for them to find Amon Vellani, who had zero acting credits before Ms. Marvel. Like she literally she was like a legit fan, like, like yeah. us. She was Kamala Khan. She was a, a you know, a, a Pakistani American girl who's a giant nerd who loved comic books, who loved Carol Danvers, who dressed up as Ms. Marvel for Halloween. And she, her auntie, as she calls her, sent uh, or told her about it. So she just sent in the tape for fun. And they were like, you're, you're it. You're our, you're our star. And she was such a breath of fresh air. And I truly think that her, enthusiasm was the best thing about the Marvels um, because that's also one thing I think that Marvel struggled a little with post Endgame is kind of regaining its identity where man people are like oh Marvel's too jokey Marvel's not serious enough I'm like did you watch the last few movies leading up to Endgame and after because it was pretty serious (laughs) it was pretty grim like we had characters that were straight up going through like PSTD and like arcs and like anxiety arcs and like 
mental illness and instability arcs. Like it was very grim. And I do feel like through um, Iman Vellani as Kamala Khan and Ms. Marvel, she can be a little bit of an audience surrogate again. And especially in this movie and kind of remind people like, Oh yeah, like this, this is like, I'm a superhero. Being a superhero (laughs) is awesome. Yeah, you, you believe know. her. Like that performance, yeah, like yeah. I'm literally watching it. I'm just like, I feel like you're just kind of being yourself all the time at this, which yes, is yeah. very charming and it's very infectious. I do agree with your criticism, honestly, that I, it has felt like they, they left the whole end game thing without a plan. And like their plan was kind of loosely like we're going to get to the King stuff eventually. But we're going to keep referring to stuff that happened that like was right. like in the first three phases. So it's like we move on, but we don't really move on. Like, yeah. But these have all felt to me like side adventures. They've kind of felt just like non sequitur movies. And yeah. so it has kind of lost that like, oh, we're leading to something and something that I kind of understand and I can explain in a sentence, not a sort of like, oh man, I got to have like a dissertation on you know, how the multiverse stuff works it, in this movie, it kind of works like this and this movie, it's completely different. I can't even like, I can't keep track of it. And I feel like I'm clued in on this stuff as much as reasonably expected for yeah. somebody who watches uh, a lot of movies throughout the year. So that gets, being said, I've been feeling that. And then I went into the Marvels and I think I kind of surprised some people because Everybody around me was kind of like, not not everybody, but a lot of people around me, a lot of Marvel fans were like, you're looking forward to the Marvels? Like, that looks like, that looks bad. I was like, look, I haven't seen any trailers. I don't know what the movie's about. I just know that it's going to have three, like, Captain Marvel adjacent characters in it as the leads. That's all I knew going in. And for me, I was excited because of the show, Miss Marvel. And I was like, look, if she's in it, I'm in. Like, I can't wait. Like, that was a great little tease at the end of the show. And it's been four years since Captain Marvel. Let's go. Let's see what's, what Carol Danvers is up to again, because I definitely have not liked how the MCU has treated Captain Marvel since, Mm-mm. since well, her movie. Let's be real. She's not been treated well by the, well, by real fans. She's been treated great by angry incel fanboys on the internet. She's been treated and some women. She's been treated terribly. She and really has. We can't talk about the reception to this movie without talking about that. Can I tell you about my mentions, Alicia? It's a who's who of -hmm. guys who clearly have some kind of weird emotional baggage wrapped up in this woman. Because Brie Larson dared to rightly say that too many press tours that she'd seen in press junkets were overwhelmingly white males. And she wanted to see more, uh, you know, more diversity in in press junkets, which she was absolutely right to say that. Uh, but, But from that point on, like, it was like open season for her. And I feel bad because she's a great character, but I feel like because of that and because of the weird timing, like having to film Endgame before they even filmed Captain Marvel and not really knowing the character, same with, you know, yeah. Ma- Mad- or Mar- or, yeah, Multiverse of Madness and WandaVision. I feel like she never fully got to be as comfortable with the character as she deserved to be. And maybe that's why, maybe that's why her character never fully seems comfortable on screen. Well, it just, it never feels like she has material to work with. Yeah. And I feel like people blame her, but I'm like, well, like, listen to the dialogue she's working with. It's not really anything. And so that's why, that's part of why I've been looking forward to this movie. Cause I'm Mm -hmm. like, all right, well, I, I really liked the Monica Rambeau character in WandaVision. I feel like she was kind of shoehorned in there, but like, I'm ready for her to be in something that actually like where she fits because like her character 
you know, deserve some time to shine, no pun intended. And then I love Miss Marvel as a character. She's super fun. And I think Captain Marvel in her own movie, when it was her, that was a fun movie. It was funny and it was kind of low stakes in a way. And I'm like, okay, well, maybe this is going to be kind of a low stakes movie. So when I watch this movie and, you know, I'll, I'll go through the setup too for folks who haven't seen it, but it is kind of just doing a totally different thing from what, like, it's not doing the Ant-Man Quantumania thing where it's, it's getting, it's trying to be super epic. It's trying to be like, oh my gosh, Kang is here. This is an insurmountable threat. I'm like, I thought this was Ant-Man. Like these Ant-Man movies were not supposed, I don't know. And it's also not being like Thor Love and Thunder, which is kind of trying to do both things at the same time. And I didn't hate that movie, but I just thought I was just pretty I didn't hate it, but I did think that Taika's sensibility needed to be reined in a little bit. It did. Like a little bit. Like we need to take that scene down just a notch. (laughs) There's fun stuff in that one. It gets a lot of hate. I don't need to Mm -hmm. pile on it further. But with this movie, I think that this movie was kind of getting that balance a little bit better where I was like, this just kind of feels like a fun comic book space adventure with some really interesting ideas in it. It's not just a straightforward beat em up. And -hmm. so that kind of gets into the premise. The main premise is that these three characters, so Brie Larson plays Captain Marvel, of course, Carol Danvers, um, Tiana Paris plays Monica Rambeau, who doesn't have her superhero name in this, but I think people in, in the comics know her as like Photon. And Miss Marvel is played by Iman Vellani, as we mentioned. And they're all kind of like in different places. Miss Marvel at this point, she's still just kind of a, an independent operator, kind of like a Spider-Man-esque like teenager in New Jersey who's kind of doing superhero stuff but hasn't been recognized officially by like the greater Avenger stuff happening outside of her. And then Captain Marvel's been kind of like just in a groove, you know, like ever since Endgame, ever since the blip and everything, she's just been kind of keeping the peace, a bit of a space cop. What are you going to do? That's It's Marvel. And then you have Taylor Paris's Monica Rambeau who's kind of you know, she's kind of coming into her own like she has her power. She's kind of an astronaut. She's working with Nick Fury. So you kind of have this thing where it's like there's these two co-workers, honestly, with Captain Marvel and Photon, where it's like they're in the same building, but they haven't like had their like faithful reunion. It's like, oh yeah, I know that person from high school. I don't know if I'm ready to like see that person again and see them all grown up. There's like that kind of weird tension going on. But the movie plays it as kind of like a comedy. And to play up that comedy, there's this whole hijinks, high concept thing where Basically, I, I won't belabor the point, but one of the bangles that Miss Marvel uses is found like the other, like the complement to it, because it's supposed to be a pair. This like evil Cree woman, um, played by who is it? Shua Ashton? Tom Hiddleston's uh, wife. Yes. And uh, so she finds it out in like space or whatever. It has like these light powers. I'm not sure exactly how it works, but essentially some warpy entanglement thing happens. And the result is that Miss Marvel, Captain Marvel, and we'll just call, we'll just say Monica Rambo, Captain Rambo, they all start to switch places and teleport to where the other person is every time they use their powers at the same time. So if Miss Marvel kind of does her like, she like turns light tangible and does her thing. And if Captain Marvel somewhere else, even the other side of the universe, universe like fires like a laser or whatever they switch places so captain marvel ends up in the bedroom this like super fan you know in jersey and then all of a sudden miss marvel ends up in like some kind of cree base and is like surrounded by soldiers so it's it's kind of played as like funny it, it's sort of like oh my gosh like what if you know it, it's kind of this like freaky friday teleport thing i thought it was really fun 
I thought it was such a cool, unique way to bring these characters together and give them a reason of like, okay, here's why they have to team up. They kind of are forced to, right? It gets around all those weird implications of like, well, she's a teenager, but like, how can, you know, but uh, there's little things to it of like, oh no, Captain Marvel can't just like fly off because then if she teleports with Miss Marvel, Miss Marvel can't fly. And it, all kinds of funny stuff like that going on. Samuel Jackson is in this as well as Nick Fury. There's not much to the plot. It's really these three characters kind of trying to figure out what's going on with their powers and stopping this like resource war thing that's going on with the Kree and the tensions with the scrolls. It's a little bit, I think, unfortunate timing with what's I going on. I think you can like, tell, I think you could basically yeah. sum up by saying Darben, the villain, she's a phase one villain. Basically. Kind of. I mean, she even kind of, she really invokes a lot of Ronan, the other Kree villain, you know, from Guardians mm-hmm. of the Galaxy, right? I appreciate, though, that, like, this movie's not trying to do the Guardians of the Galaxy style comedy, and it's not trying to do the Ant-Man style comedy. It kind of has its own. And I, w- I was appreciative mm-hmm. of that, because I was like, this feels like a different kind of thing. Uh, the writer here is Nia DaCosta. She also directs. You could see elements of Nia DaCosta, and I think the problem with this is that it soared when it was allowed to be Nia DaCosta. Where it sank was when it tried to, once again fit itself into like this cameo or that cameo or setting up this yeah. movie or setting up that plot point. That's Valkyrie where shows up. Marvel has got to start letting its movies stand on their own instead of trying to shove all these different like setups into them. They suck. Like quite frankly, they suck. I don't care how excited people get about cameos. Like it's not worth it. it I mean, end credits maybe, but it's not worth it if the movie itself doesn't stand on its own. It kind of screeches the movie to a halt. Cause then mm-hmm. you're kind of like, what? <laughs> like, wait, well, what if you didn't see Thor love and thunder? You're going to be a little bit like, what? Uh, why is, yeah. uh, why is Valkyrie wearing a suit? Um, but yeah, Nia DaCosta who directed things like Candyman, little woods. I'm a big fan of little woods. I think that's mm-hmm. a great movie. Um, also, you know, with, uh, the, um, what's her name? I'm like blanking on her name for some reason. Uh, Tessa Thompson, geez, yeah. uh, who plays Valkyrie. Uh, she's in that too. So maybe, maybe that's why they, they need a cost. was like, all right, we gotta, we gotta find a way to get, to get, uh, Tessa Thompson in this. Uh, but also Candyman, which I wasn't the biggest fan of. It's interesting that she got put in charge of this movie. Like she's not the choice that I would have thought, but yeah, I think, I, I think I agree with you where I, I think when it's like really her working on this movie, that's where it, it, to me felt like it was the most confident. Yeah. Like, it's like, Oh the, yeah. And that's the thing because I've seen again from certain corners of the internet that I really shouldn't be repeating what they say. Cause it's not worth it. But there was that one tweet that went viral and it was like, Oh, you know, Marvel giving this movie to a director that's only had one feature film before this. And it was like, first off uh, she's had more. Yeah. Second of all, where do you think Marvel's other directors came from? Most of them either came from TV or only had one or two feature films to their name. The difference was James Gunn, the Russos, like Joss Whedon. The difference is, is that with those movies, those phase one and early phase two movies, Marvel allowed those directors to be those directors and truly make the movie that they wanted to make as like a cohesive whole. Like Guardians of the Galaxy didn't tie into anything. And it was an amazing movie because it was allowed to be its own thing, whereas the Marvels was not. And I think if Marvel had allowed Nia DaCosta, like, I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but there's like a sequence involving the Flurkins. And if you don't remember what the Flurkins are, it's Goose the cat that has the tentacles coming out of their mouth for those listening. Uh, There's a sequence involving (laughs) memory from cats 
and a whole army of flurking kittens. That is, I don't think I've ever seen anything like it in a, in a superhero movie. And it's great. And it was moments like that, that it was like, I wish we could have seen more of this and a little bit less of the usual Marvel, like, oh, two-dimensional villain yeah. out for revenge, setting up all this other stuff. It was very uninteresting. My eyes were glazing over and I was like, okay, fine. It's functional. It gives the characters a reason to be here, but it's what prevents a movie from being something more. You know, I think that like you have these three really powerful characters. They need a really good enemy to fight up against. And I don't know, this, the enemy never felt that threatening, you know, that they also felt kind of cookie cutter. It was a very paper thin motivation of like, well, you destroyed this AI that was, plundering the universe and that led to bad things and i'm just like man that feels like a first draft you could have done a movie without a villain you this movie might have actually worked in my opinion without a villain um because the heart of the movie was about the three of them learning to work together and become a true found family they can do that without having to face a villain maybe they have to save uh something from a natural disaster maybe they have to do you know you don't have to have a human or alien, as the case may be, villain. And I think it would have been stronger without it. Like, I truly do. It's like a workplace sitcom, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I'm not opposed to that idea. Pixar has done it so many times. It just kind of depends on how you do the script. But I, I'll be honest, like, again, I was not really paying close attention whenever the villain stuff was happening or the mm-hmm. a lot of the fights when it was just kind of like, a whatever fight between the villain and the three i was like okay whatever if fighting foot soldiers was more interesting and fun to me but i i gotta give the movie this i laughed so much it's really funny it's way funnier than people give it credit for it really is um and i agree like i think if it leaned into the and it did but again it was torn between do i want to be a nia da costa movie about this found family and the comedy and like the like the really fun stuff or do I want to be a Marvel movie where they're facing this big scary villain and it would have been better if they had just committed to the former I think um but yeah because it was really funny when it was allowed to be funny it was like really really funny yeah I think that combined with the fact like it's 20 minutes shorter than the last Captain Marvel movie so it also has a little bit of that tight zip energy to Mm -hmm. it to the point where I could even say, like, maybe you needed an extra five minutes because there were a couple of things I was like, the editing wasn't, I was like, well, it's a little bit too, like, zippy. But honestly, here, here, I don't envy Marvel's situation because mm-hmm. I think a lot of people, you know, in the marketing department were probably looking at this movie and being like, look, it's funny. It's testing well for the humor. What is and it trying just, to like, be? It looks good. But then, like, humor in in like the current environment is like that's kind of disney plus energy and not really like you got to go to the theater right because it's a big Mm -hmm. deal because you you don't want to get spoiled on a big thing that happens and i think they weren't able to figure out like well how do we market it so that people feel like they got to see it opening weekend but then they also like got screwed with quantum mania because the amm movies have always been known for their comedy but then they lean super into the series with this one and kang and like nobody liked the movie I mean, or a few people liked the movie. Like, it was okay. I think this was way better than Quantumania. Much better. It was just more fun to watch. I also think Marvel has had a little bit of a hard time with Carol Danvers because, as you said, she hasn't gotten a lot of time to shine and, like, development. She's almost used, like, you know, deus ex machina outside of her own original movie. And it's the same problem that Marvel has had since the beginning with a lot of their more, um, uh, like, energy or space based powers and magic based powers is 
they have to nerf them so much um, so that when you actually have like Loki throughout the movies was completely nerfed. Like it was to the point where a lot of fans of the conga books were like, why are you just turning to this like two bit, like con man? Like he's so much more powerful than this, um, which you need to finish Loki season two. I've heard like, okay, yeah, I won't say anything, but, but, um, yeah. I think what happens is when they do have a character that is just so powerful, like Carol Danvers, it's like they allow the powers to stand in lieu of an actual, of actual character development. And that's been to her detriment and not fair to Brie Larson at all. And not fair to the character, but it's like, you know, end game. She basically just flew in for like, like, Hey everyone. Yeah. Like, don't worry. I I got this. I can single-handedly almost take down Thanos and then, you know, so there's just not a lot of there there. And I think when they focus too much on the powers and not enough on the character development, that's where it gets tripped up. And I suspect that perhaps, I don't want to say they were studio meddling, but I, I suspect that Nia DaCosta got some notes where it's like, we need to make you know more action, more whatever, when really it would have been like, just let her cook. You hired her for a reason, let her cook and do her own thing. I couldn't agree more. Uh, and I think especially like, there were times when, for example, Nick Fury was on screen and he he's look, he's getting a little bit up in years. And so mm-hmm. he, in this movie, he's a little bit more of like a jokey character. He sits down a lot and more power to him, honestly. But like the, some of the lines this guy was told to utter, like, honestly, I can't imagine it working in any other context, but that's kind of what's to me a little bit special about this movie because I think it got to the point where people were like, anytime he shows up on screen, anytime goose or something shows up on screen, people were ready to laugh. People were ready like to have fun. Mm-hmm. And then when the villain stuff comes on, people are like, okay, again, no, it's time it's to go. It's completely different than how he's characterized in secret invasion, which was super serious, like super serious. Nick Fury's lost a step. Doesn't have what it takes anymore. He's jaded. He's sin. And then it's like, where, where, and that's another thing too, I think between the shows and the movies, like, when is this taking place? Where is this taking place? Why is this Nick Fury completely different than the Nick Fury you saw in Secret Invasion? And on one hand, it's good because he's more like the Nick Fury you saw in the movies, but like Marvel, I think has really worked, has really written itself into a corner with everything having to be interconnected. Like, because now that's what fans expect. And if it doesn't come together as cleanly or neatly as things have in the past, it, it doesn't work. And it's not working anymore. Here's here's a three and a half star review by Thomas Lloyd. This is on Letterboxd. And, uh, you know, they, they mentioned kind of the post credit scene, which we don't have to talk about because, you know, we're just talking about the movie. It has a post credit scene. You'll see it if you watch the movie. But anyway, they said uh, everyone who's calling Spoilers, this. Spoilers, it sets up something. <laughs> everyone who's calling this movie the worst of the MCU is either not actually sat down to watch the whole thing or went to see it with no intention of changing their expectations or opinion mm-hmm. on it when they first saw the trailers. You didn't like Carol already. Not sure if this will change your mind about her, but she's not the only main character this time, which is a big help. Kamala was my favorite. Uh, sorry, Kamala. Kamala is our vice president. Kamala was my favorite, as I was expecting, and, and Monica was pretty great too. I also wish we saw more of Goose. There was only one part that I didn't really like at all and was pretty cheesy and kind of uh, immersion-breaking, and that's Carol dancing with Prince Jan. But other than that, there wasn't really anything uh, in it that got it got terribly wrong other than maybe a sort of forgettable villain. Kind of wild how a villain with a pretty understandable motive was as forgettable as she was. Not sure it was worth the wait, but I'm glad they waited to release it. I wouldn't call it a must-watch right now. But if you're already intrigued by it, I don't think it'll waste your time. Yeah, we didn't mention this got delayed a bit. And Mm -hmm. I think it is good that it got delayed because I think 
the timing of this works out a little bit better. I know the real life stuff that it kind of gets connected with isn't great, but um, I, I think like in this kind of zone, like a holiday release, probably their best case scenario. But uh, I got to disagree. The whole thing with the Prince Yawn and the Water Music Planet, I was losing my mind. I loved all it of it. Fun. I was I like laughing that. throughout the entire thing. I liked it. I thought that was a lot of fun. And I, I think I can get why people don't like it. But here's the thing. I think audiences now, especially superhero audiences, they want things to be serious and they want things to be epic and they want every scene to matter or just a cameo or to set up something or whatever. And it's like, you're allowed to embrace goofiness. Like I, I do, I will say this about the marbles, which I think is really cool. I think that the marbles is one of the most comic book like comic book comic movies that we've gotten in a while. Like some of the scenes and stuff looked like they came straight from like the, like comics, like they're like the Marvels remembered that it is a big bombastic space opera, comic book, comic book movie. And there's a lot of wacky, weird, goofy stuff in comic books that would absolutely not work in the real world, but it does in comics because they're comics. And I do think that Nia DaCosta remember that. Like I, I remember when she pitched her idea to Marvel when they were looking for directors, she used, um, or she directly modeled like some of the scenes that she saw in her head on anime, like on anime uh, uh, fights. And because I mean, really manga is comic books, you know, or they're, or, you know, the cousin of. And so superheroes, comic books, anime, they're kind of cousins. And so um, I think that that ethos worked here. So I do love that it kind of leaned into like, guys, it doesn't have to be so serious and grim and like (laughs) all the time, like it's a comic book movie, like you're allowed to get a little weird with it. It's fine. I definitely agree. Uh, Just one more from uh, this is from Luke. Luke gave it three stars. Refreshingly short, light fun for a Marvel flick. Might be a misguided take, but this felt like it had a modicum of personality to it. Comic book panels, animated sequences, a effing song and dance number, and that BC Boys scene was enormous fun. Miss Marvel is fantastic. Best part of the movie. I might even watch the show. Both Carol and Monica, too, feel significantly deeper and more fleshed out than their previous outings. What I'm saying is they are actual characters now. The same can't be said for the villain, unfortunately. I couldn't tell you her name if I tried. Not helping... By a, or not helped by a rushed climax. Luckily, I was still pretty engaged throughout the rest of the movie. Having not watched Ms. Marvel and barely able to remember Captain Marvel, WandaVision, or Monica's role in either, I was worried I was going to be very lost in this film. But I really wasn't. Marvel's whip hand continues to be their seamless reintroduction of pre-established characters for the less than hardcore, like me. There's a beautiful variety of Mediterranean-inspired planets, too, rather than the gritty urban underbelly of Guardians. It still feels a bit like Guardians with all the wacky costumes and species. On that, a word of warning of Kevin. These films are starting to feel a little Doctor Who-ish in their recycling of props and assets. You're walking online here, fella. Mm-hmm. Um, if I can yeah. just comment on that, I think that's kind of funny. But also, I, I think that the special effects in here are good. A lot of good practical effects, too. I, I don't think this movie is... it's flashy for sure Mm -hmm. but it's not that interesting it's 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 got good direction in spurts like there are times when like 
you know, Captain Marvel is like coming out of her ship and you're like, wow, like Nia DaCosta is drinking in this scene. There are other times it's a little bit more staid. It's a little bit more mm-hmm. functional. Like we're doing this thing now. I think the Saber space station is station is a lot like that. It was kind of just like a place. I didn't really feel inside of it, but uh, enough of the movie worked for me that uh, that stuff I can easily overlook. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, but I do also agree with this point that visually it's starting to get a little the same now. And it's, and yes, you want Marvel to have a kind of distinct visual style so everything seems cohesive, but at the same time, you're allowed to get a we little bit more up. inventive with it's the a big universe. Costumes. Like <laughs> the costumes, uniforms don't have to look the same. Like the the like the, she could have found something else that had nothing to do with like Kamala's bangles. You know, like it's it's just very like yeah, like a lot of the props you're like, that looks very similar to the thing that was used in a different movie just slightly modified where it's like, if you're, yeah, if it's taking, it's the same, uh, it's the same, um, uh, criticism that people have had about star Wars for decades, right? Like this is taking place over hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years across this wide galaxy. Why does every building, why do these places never like evolve? Like, why do they all look the same? Why do they still all wear the same clothes? And I think Marvel is starting to creep into that territory where it's like, the whole Marvel Cinematic Universe now has unfolded over decades. It's We're now at what, 32, it's 33 movies? Yeah, like, like now it's, I mean, literally like in the timeline of the Marvel Cinematic it's, Universe. Yeah, yeah. And it's literally all over the universe and multiple universes now. Like you can, you can change up the costumes a little bit. You can change up the weaponry. You can change up the, it doesn't have to be so interconnected. And I get it. It's reusing props. It happens all the time. The problem is when you have something that's as long running as Doctor Who or Star Wars or the Marvel Cinematic Universe is that eventually your fans are going to start to notice when you're reusing the same props and the same costumes over and over and over again. Well, there, there's more that I would want to bring up, but I, honestly, it comes down to like, I don't want to spoil some of the jokes in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's it, hard. Like, yeah. yeah. There's a couple of things like I'll be very vague, but there are a couple of things like Miss Marvel just like jokes about in this where I'm like, mm-hmm. yes, I've been making that same point about this piece of technology and Marvel movies since 2009. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, she honestly, you know, if anybody was going to kind of take the mantle of like the Tony Stark type of character who is kind of just like jokey, like she's not like Tony Stark, she, but she kind of is that sort of like breath of like, I'm adding energy through you know self-aware humor into a scene and i'm doing it effortlessly like peter parker was never allowed to be a kid like because peter parker's whole story has always been like so tragic that even though he came to the mcu when he was a baby it was like he already had all this baggage and backstory so i feel like she's a different kind of teenage character where it's like oh yeah like as a teenager i'm so glad we were finally getting a teenager who's like being a superhero is effing awesome. But if they try to give her a canon event, Alicia, I'm going to riot. Yeah. Quite honestly. Yeah. yeah. Just let her have fun, man. Just like let <laughs> Yeah, seriously, let her let her do her thing. Um, okay, so um Rotten Tomatoes game. You let me know that you you already kind of spied the score already, I did, but, but it might have changed. So I haven't I haven't looked. I it's been fluctuating a bit. So let's find out. Let's see if you can call it. So all right, we have three hundred and two reviews counted. What do you think? So it was higher than I thought it was going to be because, well, I mean, also you always worry about like review bombing with something like this. So I remember being surprised that it was higher than I thought it was going to be. So I'm going to, but not crazy high. So I'm going to put it in like 
low to mid 60%, I think is what it was when I saw it. I think it was like 62, I think when I saw it. So I'm going to say low to mid 60s. So it is still 62. So it looks like it has kind of reached an equilibrium because when I first saw it, it was at 58, Mm -hmm. like when the first wave came out. And then the review started to trickle up to like 60. And then it's perked up a little bit since then. Because I think some people were like, no, no, this movie's cool. And then uh, what about audience score though? That's a thousand plus verified ratings. What do you think? Those are always higher. Um, So I'm going to go with, I mean, unless... Rotten Tomatoes allows itself to be review bombed. Uh, and if any movie was ripe for that, it would be this one. But I'm going to go with uh, the true score would be higher. So I'm going to go with like high 70s, low 80s. Okay, you're you're right there. It's 84%. Oh, and uh, nice. yeah, yeah, that's not bad. Considering, yeah, there's probably a lot of people. But, but I think they have made some changes where it's a little bit harder to review bomb these things. I mean, it can still happen to be sure. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it looks like it's still pretty intact. And then we'll do the cinema score. Uh, what do you think? And, and uh, you know what? I'll give you a little bit of a hint. The cinema score for the last Captain Marvel movie was an A. But uh, what about the Marvels? What do you think? Um, I personally think this one was better than the first Captain Marvel movie. So I'm going to go with an A again. Unfortunately, I think the Marvel fatigue. I don't know. It's a B. Yeah. Pretty low. Pretty that low. That doesn't surprise me. Yeah. yeah. I appreciate the optimism, though. I Yeah. Um, okay, so then we'll finish out on Letterboxd. And so the Marvels on Letterboxd, let's see, it got 93,000 watches. Kind of wild, like Five Nights at Freddy's when we reviewed that last week. That was at like 400,000 watches because Five Nights at Freddy's. Um, yeah. But okay, so uh, what do you think the average rating is on Letterboxd out of uh, five? Uh, I don't even know. Like, I truly don't know. I have to be honest, I don't pay attention to Letterboxd. <laughs> Like I've we never, never used call Letterboxd. these, honestly. We pay attention and we don't typically. <laughs> I never right. use Letterboxd ever. Like, people are like, you should start a Letterboxd account. I'm like, oh, so I can do the job that I already do for no pay? No, thank you. Um, Dang. So, I mean, we, I would like, be pretty happy if you were on Letterboxd, but not for that reason. Like, I'm sorry. Like, that's just more work for me. Uh, and I'm not getting paid <laughs> for it. No, thank you. Um, I truly don't know. So, you're going to have to tell me that one. No offense, it everybody is, uses Letterbox. I think it's wonderful, but it's just not for me. Fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, we have a lot of Letterbox fans on here, myself included. Uh, maybe, maybe one day you'll you'll think inside the box. <laughs> but yeah, no, two point nine out of five, which is pretty low, pretty low. Mm-hmm. I think like I would have predicted something closer, like three point one, three point two, would be a little bit more fair. But yeah, you know, I, I'm looking at a lot of the critics I follow, and they're yeah. I think that number might go up higher. I do. Very possible. I tend to think there are some very good uh, reviewers on Letterboxd, some good, you know, kind of amateur reviewers who are very thoughtful. Another reason I'm not generally on Letterboxd is I've also found that there tends to be, some of the reviewers tend to be aspiring film critics who aren't, who don't understand that to be a truly good critic, you have to remove your own preconceived notions and your own expectations when you go in to watch a movie and you have to watch a movie for what it is and not what you want it to be. And I found that that can be a little bit of a problem on Letterboxd. So um, I would not be surprised if the score on Letterboxd went up like after a while. Yeah, we'll see. I wouldn't be surprised either. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Well, that is the Marvels. It's out in theaters right now. Who knows for how long? It might be on Disney Plus by the time uh, I finish this sentence. But uh, yeah, it's not doing so great at the box office. But it but, should. Uh, you never it's, know. It's a fun movie. 
It's fun. Yeah, I mean, we're going to find out soon if it's going to drop or if it's going to hold. Like, it could do something like Elemental with Pixar, where just the opening weekend was disappointing, but it had staying power. Or the thing is, we have a hundred games movie coming out where Encanto didn't do well, really well in theaters, and then hit Disney Plus and became this like mega hit, like Frozen. So, yeah, you never know. You never know. So, uh, but anyway, we're going to be back on the show. We're going to be talking about the killer on the next episode of Cinemaholics. And uh, yeah, I've been waiting to talk about that one for a while. So finally going to get a chance to dig into that movie. Uh, But thanks so much for listening. And thank you so much, Alicia, for coming on the show. It was a blast. Thank you for having me.